The following program is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association. Lead Tennessee Radio, conversations with the leaders moving our state forward. We look at the issues shaping Tennessee's future, rural development, public policy, broadband, health care, and other topics impacting our communities. And now, here's your host of Lead Tennessee Radio, Lavoie Knowles. Hello, I'm Lavoie Knowles, the Executive Director of the Tennessee Broadband Association. Our guest today is Representative Jeremy Faison, who is also the House Majority Caucus Chairman. Representative Faison, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Jeremy Faison represents Cock and parts of Jefferson and Greene Counties in the Tennessee House of Representatives. He serves on a number of committees, including the Finance, Ways, and Means Committee, as well as the Calendar and Rules. He and his wife make their home in Cosby and are small business owners. The couple have five children and are involved in their community and their church. Representative Faison, let's start our conversation today talking about your upbringing. Where were you raised and what was your early experience or exposure to your political process? So, Lavoy, I am actually originally a Georgia boy. I was raised over close to Stone Mountain, and uh, my dad was a small-town preacher, so I lived all over. I've lived in Georgia, lived in South Carolina, lived in Missouri, lived in Florida, but I've lived in Tennessee the longest part of my life in God's country over in the Smoky Mountains, and uh, it's been the greatest uh, move of my life was to come here and start a business and get involved in politics years ago. That's great. We were glad you landed in Tennessee and that you're here where you are today. Yes, sir. As I said in the opening, you and your wife are small business owners. Why is small business important to Tennessee, Tennessee's economy, and how does the impact the way you approach legislation? Lavoy, for me, it's, the small businesses are the backbone of Tennessee. If, if we didn't have the small mom and pop, small businesses that have anywhere from two or three employees to 100 employees, you would see Tennessee drop on the vine. We, we, we right. truly are what keeps us going. So for me, I came in on a pest control business, and I was treated pretty bad back in 2007, 2008, by the Tennessee Department of Agriculture, not specifically the Department of Agriculture, but one of their employees. And uh, my wife was pregnant. He yelled and screamed at my wife. It was an erroneous complaint against us. And it just flew all over me the way how could how could gov- look pal you work for us right you know I'm I'm thinking this bureaucrat wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for the small businesses and Absolutely. you're treating us right in such a negative way so it was one of the first things that made me think you know what I think I want to get in politics if y'all can treat people like this um, maybe you need somebody in the legislature to remind you that you're only here because of the people who have a business. Exactly. You need to treat them with respect, treat them with love, and, and, and realize this is America. We're not communists. You know, we believe in freedom. Right. So, that yeah, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, it's, it's to me, it's, it's what keeps us together, our small businesses from Mountain City to Memphis. It's the small businesses that, that everybody goes to and understands, whether it's the plumber or, or the person who does your gutter. It's the person you go to church with that you see at the bank, you see at the grocery store. It's somebody that you can trust that you have a personal relationship with, and uh, it's what part of what makes Tennessee awesome, in my opinion. Oh, you're right. And actually, the statistics I've seen is 75% of the jobs come for small businesses. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. yeah. I believe it. I have four employees at home who are fixing to hire another one outside of my wife and I, 
and it's just a, a small family business, and and uh, all you know, all of our customers know us. We see each other at Walmart, or Food City, at the bank, at church, uh-huh. and it's just it's what part what makes Tennessee go around. Exactly, particularly yeah. in the rural areas. It Everybody is. knows everyone else, so it's always we all always know good. each other very well, for exactly. good or bad. Right, I we all in, know each other. That's right. in rural Tennessee. <laughs> I live in Matt Menville, and same way there. Um, what particular challenges do you see facing rural population of our state today? Our rural population is definitely losing numbers. Um, this generation is excited about moving into a bigger city. You can see that. They, there's a lot of fun that can be had in Chattanooga or Knoxville or Memphis or Nashville. So I think one of our first things that, that we're facing is, is keeping our children in the rural community. Secondly, we were facing a major problem with the healthcare crisis. If you poll any rural area in Tennessee, what is the number one thing you're concerned about? If you'd have polled them seven years ago, the number one thing you would have heard over women would be jobs. That that's kind of taken almost a back seat to healthcare. Where I'm from, healthcare is a major concern. And when when you say healthcare, you have to speak specific. Access is number one when it comes to health care right. and, and making sure that you have the ability to go see a doctor. And if you can see the doctor, you don't want to have to drive 45 minutes to an hour to go. Exactly. And we've got these major issues. I don't know about McMinnville, where you're from, but are these insurance companies getting these wars with the providers. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, your insurance company does not cover you and I, I'm in the legislature, and all of a sudden I find out my hospital doesn't accept my insurance. I mean, right. I mean just they, they do silly things like this, and, and, and they forget that they're here basically for the people. You, you don't exist for your bottom line for you to get rich and become a fat cat. You, you, you exist to be able to bring health care to the people. And, and I think sometimes these wars that take place within the healthcare community, they, they forget where we're at. And the third thing I'd say that we're that the struggles that we're facing – is broadband. Everywhere I go, people are like, Jeremy, can you please, you know, 40% of my county, Cock County, doesn't have access to high-speed internet. And obviously, you know, I've hammered you and everybody else around here. Come right. on, guys, bring something out here. And the reason this is important is our life revolves around the internet these days. Whether you're doing banking or you're doing shopping or my kids are doing homework, you, you it's almost impossible to survive without internet these days and so when you're from a rural community such as i am that's something that's ever foremost in your mind those are the three things that i think are the biggest challenges facing us oh i agree i agree you're right on target as far as i'm concerned i I appreciate your comments and kind of dovetail into that as you know the tennessee broadband association is comprised of cooperative and independent telecommunications companies that are investing millions of dollars in the state into our fiber networks, largely in rural areas. And you've already spoken this in your previous answer a little bit, but what role do you see broadband is playing in rural development? Yeah, yeah, well, obviously we're, we're wanting to compete for jobs, and, and there are no substantial companies that would even consider coming to a community if they didn't have high speed. You're right. So that, that, that's something that's paramount for us. And even in my small business, other than my wife and I, we have four employees, but everything we do with pest control is centered around the Internet. You know, our, our whole platform of how we store our customers and everything is based on the Internet. So 
it, it, it's paramount that uh, for the small communities who are struggling, who are losing young people, to be able to at least compete. We have some of the best land available. If you look where I'm at over in East Tennessee, there in Jefferson, Cock, and Green, we're within seven hours of 70% of the population of America. We have I-26 down the street. We've got I-81. We've got I-40 right there. Geographically, we're in the very best place to start a huge company for a mega site or anything like that. But without uh, without broadband, without you guys, it's not even a consideration. Right. You're exactly right. I know I've served on the local um, economic development board for several years, and, and most companies moving in have a checklist. And it used to be water, sewer, you know, roads. Uh, now the first thing they ask for is, is broadband. That's on the list, number one on the list. If you're not, if you don't have adequate broadband or, or high speed broadband, you get pieced into a pile of, of rejections. You're not. It's they not going to happen. Consider you. It's not going to happen. And you've already touched on this issue as well. But as an association, we believe that access to health care is vital to the well being of Tennessee's residents, and broadband plays a critical role in expanding the health care access through telemedicine technology. That's why we're working on a statewide telehealth initiative. And in your view, how important is broadband and telemedicine in increasing access to care, especially in the rural areas? So telemedicine five years ago was something that most people didn't even understand. And and still to this day in rural Tennessee, people get nervous. They want to be able to sit in front of a doctor, a nurse practitioner. You know, they're like, whoa, what is this? But if you have high speed, you've got access to camera, you've got a big screen, I believe it brings a level of comfort. And what would happen in rural communities, the uh, the senior citizen or the person who, who who's sick may or may not have the ability to drive or get to right. uh, the doctor's office, but they could, they could work through this potentially over the computer, over the phone. And I think it's a splendid idea. Every bill that's ever came up since I've been in the legislature that had to do with telemedicine, I've been a huge fan of it and said, what can we do to make sure this has happened? But the, there, there, there's, there's a cog in the wheel that we have to have, and that's high speed. you got to have broadband. Right. you got to have cable if, if you're going to do this effectively. Right. Just being on the phone probably is a portion of it, but the vast majority of it really needs to be able to where you can have the camera, you can be sitting there and actually talking one-on-one with the person, see them. So, you know, any anything that we do that that way, I'm going to be a big fan of. Right. I totally wholeheartedly agree with you. And and uh, I, th- I think now that telemedicine uh, and broadband use has proliferated over the last eight or ten years because people are more comfortable with the Internet now. Uh, ten years oh, ago, nobody knew what to use it for except entertainment. Today, it's a way of living. You know, you got your Social Security is, is signed up on, on, on a, the broadband connection. Your your Medicare, uh, your insurance selections, everything is through um, through broadband. And I think folks are getting a little more comfortable with telemedicine because they're used to using the technology. So I think it's I think you're going to see more and more of that. And, like, we've done a little bit of work in, in, in the area of telemedicine our, through our association. And really, the camera is great, but you can do a, a lot of monitoring too on that on that patient on a daily basis, and only use the camera maybe once every ten days or whatever, you know. And it can also alert the doctor. You need to call them. Hey, you need to come in for a checkup. You need to get, let me check you. Something's something's going haywire. So telemedicine is a new technology that's going to be it's going to be a big deal. It's going to be a big deal and, and I, save money. And I think with the with the push in, in Tennessee leaders to get broadband everywhere. 
you're going to see more and more technologies being used, um, not just telemedicine, but smart homes. Everything has to be driven by, by broadband. And I think with the leadership in Tennessee we have today, we're going to see that happen quicker in Tennessee, which will create more jobs, more opportunities than we've ever seen before. Absolutely. Well, changing gears a little bit, tell us a little bit about your family. And, and you already mentioned about trying to keep folks in Tennessee and your reasons why that. But tell us about your family and why you think it, as a father you would like to create opportunities for young folks to stay in Tennessee. LaVoy, I have five children. And uh, since I live way out in the country, I coined this phrase, free-range children. <laughs> so if you, you'll follow me on social media, you'll see hashtag free-range children and see a picture of one of my children doing something crazy out in the woods or in the lake or in a pond. And uh, they're, they're amazing kids, and they're, they're starting to grow up. My gosh, the older you get, time just seems to go faster and faster Simpsons every yes. year. My daughter's fixing to turn 17, and... We rode together for about an hour yesterday. We went up into the mountains to look at the snow, and we're just chatting and just kind of catching up before I had to come back to Nashville. And she said, Dad, I really don't know what I'm going to do. When I go to college, I hate to leave these mountains, and I, I, I don't want to leave us. But she's like, Dad, I, I, what, are, what are the options for me? And unfortunately, unless you're in healthcare or in education, you're going to struggle out right. there. So. You know, I, I'm, I'm constantly saying, what can we do to to be competitive so our children, when they grow up, they don't have to go somewhere else, and, and they can be here. And Government's not the answer to everything, but I think we can provide some framework. And, you know, we're fixing to lose a huge corporation in Cock County. It's called ConAgra, and y'all have heard of ConAgra. They have several places all around yes. the world. And there's close to 400 employees that are going to be without a job January of 2021. And, you know, that... That hurts for no, a rural community. It's, it's, it's devastating. It hurts big. Governor Lee has got the whole rural initiative. I'm fixing to meet with the Commissioner of Economic Development. So what can we do to offer something to our locals? There's going to be a huge plant that's opened up. Anybody you're listening, there's a huge plant open up in Newport, Tennessee. Uh, that'll be open up January 21. Uh, finding out, is there somebody who could use this this plant? Because it's just going to be sitting there vacant if we're not careful and Something sits there vacant, it just falls apart. So, you know, you know, we're, we're, we're constantly working. What can we do? What can we fit in here? And um, my kids, I hate to think that they will have to leave and go somewhere else, but sometimes that's just life. It happens sometimes. And it seems like to me America is starting to move to the city, I, I, all, not just in Tennessee. Everywhere I look, you see the cities are increasing at, at huge rates. Right. You look at West Tennessee, you can drive miles and miles and miles and miles and never see a person. Right. Out in West Tennessee. So it, it's something that we need to keep in the back of our mind that this is, this is if we're not careful, we're going to lose rural America. Absolutely. And our rural representation right. as well because all, it's all population-based. And let's be honest, us rural legislators, well, by gosh, we're the best ones up here. I mean, we're the, we're the ones who care about America you, and you freedom. Care, you know, But the rural, rural areas. No offense to my city boys, but, I mean, you know, the, the rural legislators, they, they, have, they have a different set of values. Back in the day, it was interesting, East Tennessee Republicans, Appalachian Republican legislators, senators and representatives, actually voted almost lockstep with West Rural Tennessee Democrats. If you go back and look at the 70s and 80s and look at their voting records, it would, it would surprise you that an Appalachian legislator from up in the mountains, that was a Republican, right. mimicked the way a West Tennessee from McNary County or 
Dyer County, how they voted. It, it, it's it's pretty interesting to watch that. So, and in my opinion, those of us who did speak for and are speaking for rural Tennessee are one of the things that made this state so great because we, we, we carried a big stick and we were always fighting the big three. But most of the time we had the numbers to beat out the big three. Right. So I, I, I get, I'm nervous because you'll notice now the big three have turned into the big four and we're fixing to add another legislator there. And, you know, there's only going to be 99 of us in the House. Right. And you're seeing that we're getting less and less in rural Tennessee and more and more in the, in the city's representation now. So, yeah, it, it's always before my mind. Yeah, particularly in the all the growth they have in Nashville mm-hmm. and in the surrounding mm-hmm. counties of, of Davidson County, it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a big change. It is a huge change, yes, sir. Right. Uh, you serve as the House Majority Caucus Chairman. N- not everyone is aware of the responsibilities of this of this position. Could you tell us a little more about this important role? You know, it's funny when you get into. They call it the top tiers of leadership. It's funny is I'm just a country boy. So when you say that I'm in the top tiers of leadership, that sounds so funny. But at home, people say, Jeremy, I saw you on the news, and you're like the whip now or something? Aren't you like you? Aren't you? I mean, what are you? It, it, it's the funniest thing. You say, Well, I'm the I'm the caucus chair, and they just look at you like you have four. It's like, what? Well, 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 okay, so you're not the whip? No, I'm not the whip. <laughs> you know, so yeah, you, you have to kind of help people out. So the way our state government set up. In the House and the Senate, you have the Speaker of the House, then you have what you call the Majority Leader, and then you have the House Caucus Chair or the Majority Caucus Chair. And that's where I'm at. Our former caucus chair was our now Speaker of the House, Cameron Sexton, did a fantastic job. When there was an opening for him, he moved up to become the Speaker of the House, and I ran for caucus chair. So my duties are basically, I I, I feel like I'm kind of the, the herd, herder, you know, the shepherd, if you will, just kind of pull us together. All of our caucus meetings, I'm responsible for that. Last year, we had a caucus retreat where I brought them out to Montgomery Real Estate Park, brought speakers from all over the world in and and to educate and, and help get them ready. So my job, in my opinion, is really to equip all 72 of my members to be successful, whether it has to do with connecting them with people here in state government or helping them be able to be more accessible at home helping them with social media. Unfortunately, it's 2020, and I have several members who don't have social media. But the truth is, social media, Facebook, the people your age and older are all looking at Facebook. My mom is 75 years old. She never goes a day without looking at Facebook. She's consumed with it. So I'm I'm constantly working with all of my members to say, all right, listen, your presence on social media is not strong enough. You know, bring it up. When I first got elected in 2010, social media was probably 5% of an election. Social media is probably 40 to 50% of an election nowadays. Very important. That's kind of my job is is kind of just – making sure that each one of my members are successful and I'm putting the tools in their hands to be a great representative at home. All right. Well, thank you for the explanation. As you said, not everyone knows the responsibilities and there are a lot of responsibilities for that yes. job, yes. A, lot, a lot of work. And I guess the main thing is is that I, I control all the caucus meetings. So we'll have a caucus meeting almost every week while we're here just explaining what's going on. That I can, We have a whip election next week, speaking of whip. That I am not a whip, the majority whip, but we're going to have an election. I'll control that, that uh, not control, but I'll run the, 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 the election right. for our new whip that we'll have next week. And exciting times. It is exciting times. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, 
speaking of exciting times, what are some of the challenges you see ahead for the state, and what issues are you particularly excited to tackle during this 2020 session? I know that Tennessee is one of the best positioned states in the country. Uh, we've talked about it earlier in other podcasts. Have a AAA bond rating, reducing taxes for the several years in a row. I mean, it, it, Tennessee's got it going. I mean, they they oh by it, far. We're the greatest state in America. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, you would say, well, Jeremy, you're from there. You're a legislator there. You say that. But the cool thing about when I go on a legislative retreat somewhere, somebody's sitting at the table with us. You know, you're with legislators from all over America. They're like, oh, you're from Tennessee? Yeah. Man, I would love to represent Tennessee. I mean, people know that we're getting it right. Right. But a few challenges that I see coming up this year, Governor Lee, when he was running, he talked about our need for criminal justice reform. And I will say this, unfortunately, that's a scary idea to my group, the Republicans. They, we, for years, have been like, let's just cuff them and stuff them and build five more prisons and, or whatever it takes, you know, just to just pound the devil right. out of these criminals. But I think what we're realizing is that we've really missed the mark. We, we have not uh, – if our goal is to hopefully rehabilitate a human and, and – and as a Christian, we believe in restoration, right? We right. believe in we believe in chances, second chances. Our, our Savior gave us a second chance, right? A Absolutely. third chance. We're missing the mark. Our rate of recidivism is high. When it comes to uh, put incarcerating a person for doing drugs, what what have we got? I mean, it's over eighty percent rate of recidivism when you put a drug user in prison right now. I mean, right. we need to have a true, honest conversation with ourselves and say, is what we're doing working? And the truth is, is it's not. We're, we're jailing and putting behind bars nonviolent offenders who are not a danger to anybody but themselves. We're missing the mark there. So I think that's a challenge. And, and the cost for that type of institutionalized living is huge to the taxpayers. Sure is. We could definitely do a better job spending our resources to help rejuvenate a human being. In East Tennessee, over in Johnson City, there's a place called Recovery Soldiers Ministry. My church supports them. It costs them about $34 a day, and it's a 12-month program that they'll take an individual who's an, who's an addict, and their success rate now is at 82%. Oh, wow. That's great. You know, can you imagine if we had that ability? So, you know, when we put a man in prison, what is it, $72 a day? Mm-hmm. These guys are doing it for $34 a day, and they're having an 84 85% success rate, something like that. I, I would love to see us go to more of a therapeutic model like that, that we're, we're – we're spending our resources to actually help rebuild a person. It, let's be honest. If, if you've done drugs, if you're going to do meth, you're hurt. Absolutely. You, you, putting you behind bars probably is not always the right answer. Somebody has devastated your life. You've been raped, pillaged, left alone, beat. The average person who's willing to do meth or heroin or crack, man, you, you need help. It, more than just being sit in prison where you learn to get smarter about your crime. Mm-hmm. You know, I think sometimes we put somebody in jail for doing drugs, and it's not like they get in there and say, man, that was really stupid. I need to quit doing drugs. I think an addict, their thought is, wow, i got to get smarter about this. i got to figure out how to do it and not get caught next right, time. Right. They're, they're mine. They need, they're sick. They need help. So I think that's one of our biggest challenges. Secondly, I think health care is a huge challenge. I mentioned that already. Especially in rural Tennessee, we're missing the mark. And thirdly, I think it's important, our challenge today is to meet the world where we're at and maintain our constitutional freedoms. We have states all around us and people in different states in America that 
that have just taken a relaxed look at the importance of our Constitution and our freedoms. That's dangerous. We have the greatest country in the history of the planet, the United States, uh, the history of the planet of the world. Right. That we've done more good for more people than any other country on this planet in our history. Th- that was only possible because of the guidelines and rules that our forefathers set up. So for me, I'm constantly saying, how can we restrain government and keep maximum freedom to the people? Because if we're not careful, we're going to lose this good thing that we've got, and we'll destroy ourselves. Totally agree. I mean, it never was meant for government to be a huge overreaching arm. No, never. Right. No, the, it was always meant that government government was to protect you from enemies, foreign, domestic, deliver the mail, help establish commerce. I said, that pretty much got it. Thank right. you. You know, right. we've got it from there. And that's kind of, I'm very libertarian leaning, I guess, if you will, but cause I, th- I think that's the way our framers were. They were very libertarian. They didn't think the government had a huge role in your life. So I'm, that's where I'm at. I, you know, and I think that's a huge challenge that we're not talking about. Last thing, spending. My children, your children, your grandchildren, it's not sustainable where we're at financially. It's not, no, you look at the federal government twenty-two trillion dollars in debt. Even understanding what a trillion, one trillion is, is so astronomical. I mean, it, it just—it's not sustainable, and and I'm I'm very concerned. I think we all are. Uh, yeah, where our future is headed on the national level. Again, thank you for joining us today. My You've, pleasure. It's, it's been a great uh, discussion. Are there any other issues you'd like to speak to before we close? I can't thank you. Thank you. I'll just say thank you for allowing me to, uh, to to have me on, and I've enjoyed myself. And God bless you. And, and, and if your listeners who listen to this podcast, I want to tell you something. I tell everybody who comes up here that you walk around this place like you own it. Do you know why? Because you do own it. It's important for you to have buy-in. You actually pay for this building. I have an office with my name on it, but it's really not my office. That office belongs to you. There's a desk in the Capitol up here. It's got my name on it. You know what? The desk belongs to you. I believe if more of our Tennesseans, more of our Americans got involved, came and shared their passions and and made um, their legislators to understand who they are and what they want, we'd live in a better place. I mean, only less than 20% of our people vote. Right. Right. Y'all can do better than this. Yes, we can. Come get involved. Great. Great closing remarks. Again, I'm LaVoy Knowles, and this episode of Lead Tennessee Radio is brought to you by the Tennessee Broadband Association, cooperative and independent companies connecting our state's rural communities and beyond with world-class broadband. Thank you for listening and helping us to share these conversations with the people leading Tennessee forward. Thank you.